So good to see you. Good morning, church. So good to see you. When you came in today, you were given in person, you were given communion. Just say that to the end. We're going to take communion together today. Um, this is your first time at Nova. We'll take that together at the end. If you have a Bible today, we're going to turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We're going to sit there for a few minutes today and encourage you today. Um, as Nancy mentioned, um, if you're watching online forever, wherever you're watching from, people watching from all over the world every single Sunday and online during the week. Uh, but in person, we've had another challenging weekend as a city uh, with flooding. And in my, in my 48 years, I've never seen anything like what we've experienced in the last 10 months. Um, our offices were flooded. Um, so any events at the offices, just talk to your ministry leaders. They're canceled until otherwise noticed. Uh, get noticed otherwise. Uh, six feet of water came in our parking lot. About half a foot came into our offices, our warehouse. But thank God our gear was not there. And um, it takes a lot of gear. Some of you know this. Most of you know this. Every wire, every speaker, every screen, every sign we bring in every single Sunday. And it's a lot of gear to pull this off. Every camera, online, computer, everything. Um, but miraculously, which rarely happens, it was not at the office. It was elsewhere. And because of that, because of that, um, we didn't lose any important gear. So um, thank you, Jesus, for that. If you have gone through some loss with this flooding, would you reach out to us by email to the office? We're here to help. We are here to help. We're with you in the good times, uh, and this morning is a good time, but we're also there in the challenging times. We are in this together, so please reach out, and uh, we're believing that we can help you. Amen? John chapter 11. If you're there, say hey. Some of you are just waiting for the screen, aren't you? Right behind me. You're waiting for it. John chapter 11. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. There's a man named Lazarus who was sick. He lived in Bethany with his two sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured out expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very, very sick. We jump over to verse 17, one page over. It says in verse 17, it says when Lazarus, when, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, so Jesus didn't come right away. It took a few days. He didn't show up. He had other things he was doing. He didn't rush to help Lazarus or um, to answer the calls of Mary and Martha. So a few days later, in verse 17, when he arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. So now it's closing on a week since he would have gotten that notice. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Mary got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. That's, that's New Testament code for Mary was offended. Martha came, but Mary said, no, pass, I'm not going. If you had asked Mary how she was, she would have said, I'm fine. You didn't laugh because you're not married. If you're in this room and you realize that if your wife tells you things are fine, there's a lot of things that they are, but they're not fine. When my wife thinks says fine, I know it's now a game of let's figure out what I did wrong and what I said wrong. And now it takes how long it's going to take for me to figure it out. So when things are fine, I usually start trying to do things. Like when the kids were younger, I'd bath them or I'd, and then she'd be like, the kids were already bathed last night. I was like, okay, I won't do that. I would start doing something else. She's like, that doesn't need to be done. Um, I just got to figure, give myself some, bide some time until I figure out why things are fine. I've learned I've never gotten in trouble yet for folding laundry. So if you ever come to my house and I'm folding laundry, it's because things are fine. Okay. <laughs> Verse 40. Verse 39. Sorry, yeah. Uh, verse 
20. It says, Martha got word that Jesus was coming, and she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22. But even now I know the Lord will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise with everyone else rises on the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Anyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Then we jump down here. We go down to verse um, 32. Go over to verse 32 and it says, now, Mar now Mary showed up. So when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. A lot of emotion in that text. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger well within him. He wasn't angry at them. He was angry at sin and the grave and the, the power of death. And it says he was deeply troubled. Verse 34, where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry when he arrived at the tomb in the cave. They had a, ro a stone rolled across his entrance. And he said, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, said, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be like a junior high boy's room. <laughs> Sorry, I just added that, I think. Uh, the smell will be terrible. Verse 40, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. And Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, and his feet wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. This morning, I'm going to share something for a few minutes. I believe it's going to impact you. It's a part of our church's DNA. And I believe if you're new to our church, it's going to, you're going to grab a hold of this if you're a part of this church. If you're a part of this church for a while, I believe it's going to reignite something inside to you. I believe God's called us to reach a generation that has stones rolled in way, blocking them from hearing the voice of God. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here. Thank you that we get to gather this morning, that we were not stopped from gathering. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. May we not waste these moments. God, I pray from every TV screen watching to every person in, in person that we would feel your presence. Holy Spirit, come into this room. Father, I pray these next few minutes be one that would shake hell, that hell would fear and heaven would cheer. Father, may we feel your presence today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you so much. I want to encourage you to get a vision for your life. Get a vision for your life. The Bible says, write the vision clearly so you can read it on the run. And so many people are, wanders, uh, are, are wandering aimlessly, and they're just living from paycheck to paycheck, and event to event, and from news cycle to news cycle. And they live in fear, or they live in apathy, or they live in greed. And me and Nancy, very young into our marriage, decided that when we had kids, that we just didn't want to leave it to culture. We didn't want to leave it to chance. 
for the identity of our family. So we actually, I have a picture of it here. We have a family creed that we have. As, I don't know if you can read this, but it's pretty small print for those in the back. But we have a family creed that from the, and from the front for us that are in our late 40s. Um, but we have a family creed in our house that we designed, that we came up with based on the word of God. And we put it in front of our house, in front of our kids' eyes. And we would print it off and make it as placemats for certain meals. And, and when our kids turned 13, starting adolescence, they would sign it starting their adolescence. And a couple highlights from this family creed. It says, we are generous with our time, hearts, and possessions, which is all Bible-based. It says, we laugh often and hard and have buoyant spirits even in stormy seasons. We have learned that life is not easy. It rains on the just and the unjust, but we can have a buoyancy being on the East Coast and seeing those, the boys out in the ocean or the fishing nets and where you're swimming, that no matter what the tide is, they stay above water. And we believe no matter what comes at our kids, what comes at our marriage, comes at our mental health, comes at our country, our nation, our church, that we'll have a buoyancy. And we believe that as Millers, we are buoyant. Since we live on purpose, with purpose, knowing that we have a God-given assignment for our lives and we're not settled for less. It goes on and says we are active in our faith. Not spectators. So many people are, are, are armchair quarterbacks. You should have did this in government. Should have did this in culture. Should have did this in church. Said, so no, no, no. We are active in our faith, our family, our friendships, our culture, refusing to be spectators. We believe in second chances. We go down and we list this family creed. And we, our kids know this creed. And when they became 13, we had a, like, a little ceremony just signing it. And we didn't want to leave it to culture to say this is who your identity is to our kids. We don't want to leave it to chance that they're going to get it through TikTok or social media or the neighbor or their teachers or even the church. We want them to know, no matter what, based on the word of God, we have a vision for our lives as a family. I don't know how many times we quote this in prayers. We quote this in conversations. Our sons living on the West Coast, don't forget, Josh, we're not spectators. We're active. We're active participants. Don't forget we have a buoyancy in our spirit. We quote this. We, we do what's right, not what's popular, basing our beliefs on God's word, not culture's trends. Oh, we, go, we, we quote this. It's a vision for our life. These next few weeks, I'm going to revisit some messages that are part of the DNA of our church in these last six years. There are messages that uh, formed our church that is a part of our fabric. And it may not be written on a creed on a wall somewhere, but if you've been a part of this church, you're going to remember some of these messages. If you're new to our church in the last few years, some of these will be new to you. But I want to encourage you that we have a vision for this community. We're not just waiting for culture to form this community. We're not just going by happenstance. We're not just trying to just, well, whatever happens, happens. No, we have a vision and a plan God's assigned for this church community. Can someone say amen? We're not just waiting for the pressures of life to form us. We believe God's giving us a vision for what God wants to do, and our best is yet to come. We believe the best is yet to come as we come in on our sixth birthday as a church. God is up to something. In these next few weeks, we're revisiting this. Today, if you're taking notes, I want to write down this title of this message. This is a part of our DNA as a church, Mundane Miracles. Mundane Miracles. I have pet peeves. Um, one is people that are in the passing lane and they're going the speed limit. Come on, anybody else in this place? Just me. People that don't know, understand, when you push a cart through the grocery store, move to the side. I have a lot of pet peeves. People that have more than 12 items at the Fast Express lane. Come on, somebody. People that are ahead of me buying lottery tickets at the gas station when I'm in a hurry trying to get gas on pump four. I have a lot of pet peeves. We all have pet peeves. Crocs are a pet peeve of mine. You can have Crocs or serve Jesus. You just can't do both. I'm kidding. Maybe. Okay. Here's one we had as a family. As a, as a family, we told our kids, we do not want to hear you say these words, I'm bored. Come on. 
there's nothing more, uh, more insulting or nothing more frustrating than hearing your kids. I'm thinking, bored? You understand what you have as kids today. Do you, come on. They have hoverboards. Remember, this was, this was back to the future movies for us growing up. Remember? You can FaceTime anybody in the world. You have the internet. You can, if you didn't know answers, when, if you didn't know who sang that song when you were 15, you didn't know. If you're watching a movie going, what else was this guy in? You never knew. What's the temperature in Vancouver today? Not a clue. I'm like, you have the, the world at, at, at your hand, at your disposal. You have hoverboards and bikes. You have holograms. You, have, you can watch any movie at any time. You can call your friends. You can do anything. When I was growing up, we had nothing. We had a stick. Come on, remember? I'm not, remember? We went outside. Outside was this place we used to go. And remember, a stick was, could be anything your imagination wanted to be. It was a sword. It was a gun. Remember? Remember, we used to ride our, you knew where your friends were, where all the bikes were parked. If you wanted to find your friends, you didn't track them on your iPhone, you didn't message them. You drove around for an hour until you found all the bikes. Remember mustaches from popsicles? But those were the best days ever, man. Just outside dirt, man. You, just, you didn't have a suntan. You had dirt burn, right? You were outside all the time. We didn't have TV. We had no cable. We had a TV that you turned the channels with pliers. Remember those days? Because the thing would break, and you'd get the pliers on there. We had three channels. The only thing on TV were the news, Hockey Night in Canada, and Hee Haw. And we weren't allowed to watch Hee Haw. If you didn't get that, it's because you're young. Now they have everything. We say we can't be bored. We can't be bored. We, uh, we tell our kids, you, you don't have the right to say that you are bored. You know, there's this pressure on us as a culture, and I, I see it only increasing. Social media has not helped. There's this pressure to live an exciting life. There's this pressure just to, your coffee has to be the best it's ever been. Your, your meal has to be picture perfect. That You have to promote it before you can even eat it. Your vacation has to be somewhere else. It can't just be local. You, you have to have the, the, the newest car. You have to have, your relationship has to look good online. You have to make sure you have all this pressure that you just can't be normal. It can't be mundane. It can't be boring. And That's why we don't post pictures of paying bills online. Screenshot, paid my mortgage, thank God. That's why no one's ever posting pictures of taking the green bin out. Come on, uh, cleaning up after your dog. Why? Because we don't want to promote the mundane. We don't want to promote the routine. We want to only promote the, the highlights, the courtside moments, that, that highlight moment, that winning moment. And there's this pressure just to, to stay away from this mundane. We resist it. But here's what I've learned as a church. I've learned it in my life that God actually embraces and uses the mundane. If we're not careful as a church, and I love them and I know some of them, but we'll live for these online ministries all over the world or these influencers, and we just think, man, I wish my backyard looked like their backyard. I wish our worship team had those songs. I wish our preacher said it this way. I wish that my marriage was like this marriage. I wish my house was this house. And we, we, ha we have this way of resisting it, but I've learned this, that God embraces and God works. Please don't miss this. God works through mundane. In John chapter 11, a miracle was needed. Lazarus was dying and Lazarus died, and a miracle was needed. Reviving was needed. My friends, I want to remind you today that we need a miracle in our culture. Things are not getting better on their own. We need a miracle in our country. We need a miracle in our churches. We need a miracle in our families. We need a miracle in our lives around us. If we can be honest today... There is so much room for reviving in our lives. We need miracles today. We believe in miracles in this church. 
I don't know if you do, if you, if you walked in here, maybe you're new today, or maybe you came from a background going, we, we gather together, we're nice, we have sandwiches once in a while, but we don't actually believe for anything. No, in this church, in our faith, this Bible teaches us to believe for miracles. We believe in healings. We had a great report this week from one, a, a child in our church this week. A great report came back. We're believing for healing in Ethan's life. We're believing for miracles. We believe in healing. We believe in salvations. That people that are far from God come into moments like this and their life is radically changed. We, I was talking to one of, someone today who said, we prayed, you prayed for us a couple weeks ago, and I felt like a miracle happened in my life. Something came off of my life, and there was a radical shift. We believe in salvations. We believe in miracle buildings as a church. Can someone say amen? You need to know this. To get a building as a church will be a miracle. And we're going to save, and we're going to give, and we're going to try, and we're going to do our best. But for us to get into our permanent facility, it will be a miracle of God. But I believe in miracles. In verse 33, it says Jesus was deeply troubled. Another version says he was actually groaning in his spirit. It's actually like that, that pain that all you can do is groan deep, do, deep down. Church, I want to remind you that someone has to get bothered by what we're seeing in our culture. Someone has to get bothered by what we're seeing in our families and our teenagers. Someone has to get bothered by what we're allowing into our lives, into our mental spaces. We have to get bothered. Just don't tune it out, church. Don't go, that's not for me. I just have to put up these boundaries. I believe in boundaries. But someone has to get bothered by the state of the world's sin. Get bothered by abuse. Bothered by suicide. Bothered by poverty. Bothered, bothered by addictions. Hopelessness is a plague and someone has to get bothered. In verse 35, they say it's the shortest verse in all scripture. Jesus wept. I actually think it's the longest verse in scripture. Two words, Jesus wept. There's so much in those two words. There's been three or four times in my life where I've wept, where you can only lay on the ground and weep. Those moments, that's not a short moment. That's not a crocodile tear going, okay, I'm good, let's keep going. No, no, Jesus wept. It means that there was an emotion that overtook him, that took him down, took him out for a while, where he grieved and processed and groaned. And it says Jesus wept in that moment. Church, I want to remind you today, please, 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 don't you dare think God is some emotionless fact checker, a fact checker getting our request in prayer and simply going accepted or denied, approved or denied. He is not emotionless, he is not distant, he is not distracted, and he is not denying us. He is actively involved in our journey. He is invested. Jesus wept, he grieved, he groaned, he was invested, the same God. Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. God is invested in our journey. You need to know the God that you serve, the God that you love, God our Father is emotionally invested in our journey. Oh, don't think he's some distant entity that's just removing, that's just emotionless and distant and just robotic. No, no, no. He is passionate about you, church. He is obsessed with you. He is cheering and he is grieving and he is involved. In John 11, 38 and 39, there's this fascinating detail where I want to camp for just a few minutes. It says that Jesus... Ask them to roll the stone aside. I think that's fascinating in this passage. That, that this was mentioned in scripture that Jesus said, like, why, why would he get people to roll the stone aside? Have you ever thought about that? There's no talent needed to roll a stone. You simply need a strong back and the ability to endure the smell of death. That's it. When he said, I need you to roll the stone, he said, I need to see people. And people are like, well, I got a strong back, and I can endure the smell of death. That's, all, that's the only talent you need. You know what I've realized in life? I have very few talents. 
I, I don't play an instrument. I don't sing at all. I sing horrible. Come on. You know, some of you are like me when it gets quiet. Just the voices. I start lip syncing. Why? Because that's for the sake of those around me, you know. I, I don't have much talent. I'm not good with computers. I don't, I'm not great with sports. I have one talent. I attract people with great talent to help us. That's the only talent I have. It takes no talent to roll a stone. You simply have to push and endure the smell of death. And, and here's what's interesting. If, if Jesus could raise the dead, couldn't he have rolled the stone? I'm not God. My wife reminds me of that weekly. I'm not God. But if I was God, if I was going to raise the dead, that's the miracle in this moment for me. If he could raise the dead, he's been dead for four days. His body's decomposing. There's already a stench. If he can do a miracle where that body repairs itself, where life comes back in and blood and systems and organs and everything's repaired, and that man stands up and walks out, if he could do that, don't you think he could roll a stone? In fact, in just a few chapters, in just a little while, Jesus is going to have his own stone in front of his own tomb. And if he couldn't roll this man's stone, what hope do we have that he could roll his own stone? Why did he get men and women to roll the stone? I think there's a truth here that is a part of our DNA as a church, and you need to be reminded today, is that God has always and will always look for us to partner with him. So much of the church misses this point. God is always looking for partners. See, this walk of faith is not boring. There's always something that God wants us to partner with. And many times God intervenes, but he asks us to do the mundane before he'll do the divine. See, the miracle was not in the raising, it was in the rolling. See, a miracle is, is something that shouldn't usually happen, right? Like, like the Leafs winning the cup, that's a miracle. That shouldn't happen, right? Like, like us having more than four days without rain, that would be a miracle, in Halifax. The miracle is not raising the dead. Why? Because that's what God does. This was not a miracle for God. Heaven wasn't like, did you just see what your boy did? Did you just see what this is? We've never seen. No, this is what heaven does. He steps in and new life happens. That's not the miracle. The miracle was to get some people together to go, wait a minute, there's a stench behind that stone. That's been, we've been here a thousand times. We know what happens when we put someone in there. To get someone to go, what's he say? He wants us to roll? The okay. The miracle was not in the raising. The miracle was in the rolling. It's mundane miracles. Church, I want to remind you today, when we show up and commit to the mundane, when, when there's no fame, no applause, no spotlight, just be faithful, that's a miracle. And I've learned in these six years of this church and in my lifetime that if we do the mundane, he'll do the divine. And everybody wants to talk about the divine, but I'm telling you, God's calling us to the mundane. The faithful, 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 faithful. Bam, a miracle happens. This church is being built on the faithful of the mundane. Church, listen, when we roll the stone, he'll raise the dead. We are here today. We are in this building. We are in kids' ministry and production. We're doing all, all we're doing is rolling a stone. There are people that are dead in their sin. They're dead in their shame. And there's things blocking them. And we're trying to roll a stone, making an opportunity for people to hear Jesus call their name and say, come to life. That's why we navigate parking. That's why we navigate buildings and flooding of our offices and we give. That's why we serve. That's why we set up and tear down. That's why you're faithful at your workplace, in your family, at your job, in your school. Is we're trying to remove stones that are blocking people going, God doesn't love me. No, no, that's a stone that needs to be rolled away. Oh, there's no place that I can hear the word of God preached. No, let's roll that stone away. My church is too expensive and too difficult and too complicated. There's too many up and downs. No, no, we're going to step in and do the mundane and roll that stone for a chance that God will call their name. If we'll roll the stone, he'll raise the dead.
That's what we do here every single Sunday is roll stones. You don't know the stones that were rolled for some of you today. You don't know the ceilings that were broken in the flooding that was in here just a few hours ago. You don't know. Some of you don't know. Online church, you don't know sometimes the stone is being rolled to make it happen that you can hear the word of God. Some kids don't know, parents, what you're doing weekly in your home to roll stones and make it available for them to be in the presence of God, to be raised in the house of God. You parents, some of you know the stones you're rolling in your homes. If we'll roll the stone, he'll raise the dead. And sometimes we miss the divine by rejecting the mundane. I do think we've robbed a generation of the miraculous by confusing success and fame. This generation has confused success and fame. We think if you're famous, you're successful. No, some of the most famous people I know are not successful. And some of the most successful people I know have no online presence and they're not famous. Successful is faithful, not famous. We've robbed a generation and we see the mundane faithfulness of working a job and being faithful in your marriage and being faithful in your purity and being faithful with your church and being faithful with your kids and being faithful in your community and being faithful. We go, oh, that's just mundane. I don't want that. I want to I blow up. I want to I be known. I want to make sure I'm famous. And we've robbed, if we're not careful, we think fame and success are the same thing. Fame is a movie star. Success is Mother Teresa. And there's a world of difference in that statement right there. Miracles will happen, church, if we commit to the mundane. That's why we talk about the dream team when we talk about next steps. Why? We're just looking for more people to roll some stones. And the biggest miracles I see in my life are people that step in. Like, we, we, don't tell anybody, but we talk privately going, I can't believe people help us every single Sunday. Like, we went away on vacation and this still happened. That's a miracle. I know so many churches, the guy that leads worship is the guy that preaches, the guy that sets up, the guy that tears down. I'm like, God, thank you for people that are committed to going, I don't got much talent, but I can roll a stone and I can endure the smell of death of people walking in their issues and their pain and their shame. If we do the mundane, he'll do the divine. God's looking for partners. I'm not going to unpack it today, but in Mark chapter 6, you don't need to turn there, but in Mark chapter 6, we know the story well. of Jesus performs this miracle, you know it, of he's preaching and teaching and the disciples come to him and say, hey, there's at least 5,000 men, there's more women and children, and they haven't eaten all day. And like, you got to do something. And if you know the story, Jesus then takes his loaves of bread and fish and he multiplies it. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you know this story. And he feeds everyone. And it says they ate and were able to keep listening to the word of God and listening to his teaching where he could help them and train them and teach them and bless them and heal them. When I think about that, I think, who is the hero in that story? When I was younger, I thought it was the disciples. They could, man, the, the faith. They went and got this, the snackables. They got this poutine. They got this little sub. They got this little lunch. They, I thought, they're the, that's the miracle. They had the faith. Could Jesus, it's amazing. They come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, do something. I love what God says because God's always looking for partners. God doesn't go, okay. Jesus doesn't go, okay, you're right. Right, we got a problem. Father, rain down manna. Rain down uh, pizza. Rain down food. He doesn't do that. What does Jesus say to the disciples? You read your Bible. He says, you feed them. See, God's always looking for partners. And sometimes the help for our city and the help for our, the single parents and help for people that are suffering, we say, God, do something. God goes, you do it. The disciples go and they get this food and they bring it back and they go, Jesus, here's what we got. And he goes, nice try. I used to think they were the heroes. And then I realized they just bullied some kid for that lunch. <laughs> that miracle was that kid's, uh, was that kid's uh, painful moment. That was his core memory of that moment of being bullied. That was his trauma. What they went to heaven, he went to therapy for. And like, they stole his lunch. 
I remember thinking, the boy, the boy is the hero in the story. I just imagine this boy going, hey, just use my lunch. I just picture this little kid going, just use my lunch. I thought he's the hero in the story. You know what? As I get older, the hero in the story isn't the boy. It isn't the disciples. It's the mom and dad of the little boy. Loaves and fishes, I know growing up in the East Coast, my grandfather was a lobster fisherman in Newfoundland his whole life. He had creases on his hands that were half an inch deep from, from jigging nets and working in all conditions. And for this boy to have loaves and fishes, his father is probably a fisherman, which means he would have battled all seasons and all weather and all conditions. He would have battled no fish and lots of fish and broken nets and sinking boats and gathered having help and having no help. And, and when, before the sun was up and well into the night, this man would be fishing and jigging and sorting and, and trying and facing the winds and trying to deal with the weather and bring home enough fish to feed his family and sell at market. The mother, if she had made the bread, I know making bread is a process. My mother, growing up, she would make bread from scratch, and that's not a quick process. I can only imagine back then of harvesting the wheat and grinding the wheat and making the flour and trying to put it together and then bake the bread. This wouldn't have been an hour thing. This would have been a day's thing to make bread. So for this boy to show up, to follow the crowd and be what everyone else is doing, to follow Jesus and hear his words, he only got there because a mother and a father in private, in secret, doing the mundane day in and day out, provided for, created a moment where this boy could have enough food to go on with his journey. If they hadn't committed to the mundane, they never would have seen the divine in that boy and those disciples in that crowd. Church, I want to remind you there is a power in committing to the mundane. When we do the mundane, he'll do the divine. I grew up in a home, my mother, she prayed mundane prayers every single day of my life. I grew up with a mother that was praying for me. She prayed the door open so I could hear her prayers. Some of you are afraid of your, reading your kids' texts or looking at their social media. My mother prayed for me with the door open, and they weren't always the kind of prayers I wanted to hear. She prayed against every girl I dated before Nancy. I would, true story, I would walk by. She'd be on her knees. I swear she'd wait till I walked by. And she'd name these girls by name. God, please don't let Mike marry that girl. God, don't let him. He called, she called them by biblical names. Like Delilah. <laughs> Jezebel. The whore of Babylon. No, I'm kidding. No. But she's like, oh, God. She prayed for my purity. She prayed for my friends. She prayed for my, I remember hearing my mother pray with the door open, wailing and crying faithfully for my sister and my brother. And for me. To this day, she prays for her grandkids. The mundane prayers of my mother. I remember being in church when we used to pass the offering buckets. We had these little envelopes. She'd fill out her offering envelope. And I remember looking at it. I said, can I put it in the plate? She goes, you can put it in the plate. Like, I was given the offering. I was nine. Hold on to it, and the bucket would come by. I remember looking at it. $20 for missions, $5 for the youth department. I remember looking at her, my sister, I remember my sister was only 10, and I was like five or six. I remember thinking, we don't even go to the youth ministry. Why are you giving to the youth ministry? I'll never forget this. She said, Mike, if I give money to the youth ministry now when I don't need it, it'll be there when we do need it, when you and your siblings are there. I remember we, we didn't have much money. We were, we were on the low side of middle class, but my parents were faithful and working. But my mother said, no, no, I'm going to give mundane offerings. I'm going to give faithfully because I believe if I do the mundane, God will do the divine. I'm living proof of the mundane, doing the divine in someone's life. If we commit to the ordinary, God will do the extraordinary. The mundane to the divine. We have churches waiting on a move of God all over the city. I drive by one all the time. Their signs are always waiting on a move of God. And I believe in a move of God. I believe in revival. I believe God's presence can show up in a moment and change a nation, change a person, change a family. We are waiting on a move of God. But what if heaven's waiting on a move of man? 
Jesus stood there and he waited going, I know what I want to do, but someone, would you just roll this stone? And he sat back and waited. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say if it was a minute or an hour, but he waited. And when someone committed to do the mundane, he said, okay, now I can do the divine. And he called Lazarus forward. That stone represented barriers, stopping people from being raised to life. As a church, we're committed. If you followed us for any amount of time, we are people like, you're navigating COVID well. You're navigating this well, sometimes better than others, if I'm honest. But all we're committed to is going, that's another stone to roll. We walked into our offices yesterday. There's water everywhere going, we're trying to get a building, and the one we do have is flooded? All right, baptisms are here next week. Okay, let's do that. It's just another stone. Sometimes you got to step aside and just go, okay, God, buoyant in all seasons. And then you go back and go, let's roll it again. All we're doing is rolling stones. I want to show you two pictures real quick, a couple pictures real quick. First one is from Easter this year at the Rebecca Cohen. This picture was a moment if you were there on Easter Sunday. We rented the biggest auditorium that we have in our city. We packed it out, and God was so good. If you were there, it was my favorite service I think I've been to from Nova. We, all we did is sing praise to Jesus. We just worshiped God. It wasn't the most creative thing, but I'll tell you this. God was lifted up, and Jesus was honored, and we packed that place out. We saw over 70 salvations in one service. We saw people talk about we, people talking about the billboards and Jesus, and he, his name and his fame was spread. And this is a divine moment, divine moment in the life of church in our city. But I want to show you where it started. Next picture of the mundane. See, everybody wants to post a picture from the balcony of the Rebecca Cohen. Everybody wants to talk about Christmas and, and, and the video walls. Everybody wants to talk about the, when the backpacks get handed out. Everybody wants to talk about when there's a moment where the prodigal gets called to the front and they get saved. And we want to talk about the divine moments. But I've learned this in my life. The divine doesn't happen without the mundane. Someone's going to roll some stones. I've got another picture here. I want to put a picture of our kids' ministry. I can say this any, in our church. Right now, in, our, in a moment, we're going to take communion, but in, in, next door, they're taking communion as a kids' ministry. Believe me, we're not babysitting. We're ministering. Even the kids over here, there's one screaming. It might have been your kid when I walked out there earlier. Going, I'm going to hold this kid in Jesus' name. Because might they might not understand me, but I can pray over them. I've learned this as a team. We set up these mats and we pray over these kids and we deal with attention deficit and we love kids and we help kids and we preach the word and we worship together and we commit to the mundane. God will do the divine. We're not leaving it to culture or happenstance or circumstance for these kids to be influenced. We're believing in the presence of God, but someone has got to step in and go, I'll do the mundane and roll some stones and God, you do the divine. Church, we need to go to two services soon. God's doing something in our church this fall. We're going to be at a place where this theater is almost at capacity. Our kids' ministries are already at capacity in the rooms they're in. And we're having discussions. What do we do? What's holding us back right now is we need more help in our kids' ministry. Now, you can see this as a shameless plug, or you can see it as something else. Going, well, if we can't get enough kids' ministries, we just stay to what we have. But there are more kids that need to come in these walls to experience the presence of God. There are more parents that need to come in and experience the presence of God. If we commit to the mundane, God will do the divine. The mundane is a pathway for God to raise the dead. Church, you need to hear me right now. They're coming. 
the Lazarus generation is coming and they smell of death and they're wrapped up, not in bandages, but issues and pain and shame and they're tied up in mindsets and habits and abuse and disappointments. and They're wrapped up every age, every race, every background and they're coming. And God wants to call them out and bring them life. But at first he's asking, would you roll the stone? Verse 43, Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. You know what I've learned? I've learned that Jesus prayed short prayers in public because he prayed long prayers in private. In private, he spent his mornings in prayer connecting with the Father, wrestling through his own emotion and his issues and his, and his, and his own decisions. But he had an authority that in public he could say, Lazarus, come out to the dead, rise. Demons, be gone. Death, here. So many times, I'm the opposite. I pray short prayers in, in private, and I try to do long prayers in public, trying to convince you that I'm a man of God, trying to convince each other that God wants to heal you. Oh, God, look at this sister. Look at this brother. You know how faithful they are. And we do a resume of how good you are, that God will bless you. But God says, if you'll do the mundane in private, I will show up in public. Commit to the mundane. If we roll the stone, he'll raise the dead. Church, embrace the miracle of the mundane. Dad, embrace the mundane of family dinners. Don't skip it. Sit at that table. Don't skip it. For that tea time or that extra meeting or to do the lawn, I'm learning. These, these years are very short. Don't skip the mundane. Mom, embrace that drive of your kid to youth, to youth group. Oh, it's all the way to Bedford. You can take a boat this week, actually, to our offices. Embrace it. Embrace serving. Some of you need to help us serve or don't. But the miracles in the mundane. Embrace a prayer life. You don't need to come to the prayer room on Tuesdays or Fridays, but it helps. But you can pray in your own chair beside your own bed, but commit to the prayer. I've already prayed this prayer. I've already prayed for my young adult to come back to Jesus. I've already prayed for my kids and spouses when they get married down the road. I've already prayed for our finances. I've already prayed for our pastors. I've already prayed for our city. I've already prayed for our premier. I've already prayed for our government. Pray it again. Pray it again. If we'll do the mundane, he'll do the divine. If we roll the stone, he'll raise the dead. All over this place, if you can just stand to your feet, I want to take communion today, which can be seen as mundane. If you grew up in church at all, like communion. It's the bread, it's the juice. No, 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 no. We commit to the mundane. You watch, he'll do the divine. If you want to peel the top layer off, take this bread. And just hold it for a moment. Don't take it, just hold it. If you don't have communion, we have ushers in the aisles right now. Just If you don't have an emblem, just put your hand up. And we'll get you an emblem right now. Or if you already ate yours, I don't know. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 11 in a moment, but I want to read just verse 27. It says, if anyone eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood, that is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Conviction is not a judgment. It's God's generosity. 
Some people avoid these settings because they feel like, oh God, I feel so guilty when I come to church. You don't know the God I know. God that's actively invested in your journey. Conviction isn't to push you down. It's to bring you higher going, hey, there's a better way. That attitude is hurting you. That habit is killing your marriage. That offense is blocking you. We're going to sing this song for a moment. Pastor Matt's going to lead us before we take the bread and the juice. And I want you to simply ask this question. God, is there anything in my life that you want to call me higher on? And then we're going to pray. Take a moment. Examine yourself. Say, God, how is it with me? I've already done that. Do it again. God, no, I've already confessed that sin. I have a struggle with that sin. I have a struggle with that attitude. I have a problem with that. I just can't get over it. Do it again. Commit to the mundane. and He'll do the divine. Today could be your day. We breathe life over you. As we sing this song, just ask yourself that prayer. God, examine my life. How is it? sing it again Christ the
bread. Let's take it together. Do this. Remember him. Thank you, Jesus. I'm taking the juice now. He said, this cup is my new covenant between God and his people. So many are living in an old covenant. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta punish myself. I've gotta earn a certain amount of money. I gotta give a certain amount of money. I gotta do this and do that. We feel the weight. He says, no, no, no. I wanna give you new life. New life. It's a new covenant between God and my people. Confirm with my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Let's take together. We're gonna sing because he lives, Pastor Matt. Church. We'll roll the stone. He'll raise the dead. On Sundays and on Mondays and on Wednesdays, people are going to come. Prayers have been prayed for decades for some of the people coming this fall, covered in their shame and their issues, smelling, they don't smell like us. They smell like regret. They smell like pain. They smell like mindsets. But I do know this free people can free people. The story ends. He says, go up and unwrap them. He raised the dead. He could unwrap them. He says, no, roll the stone. I'll raise them and you unwrap them. And we're going to spend our fall, spend our lives unwrapping people. Go, no, you don't need to think that way. You don't need to behave that way. You don't need to be like that. No, 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 no. God has better for you. And we're going to free people. If we roll the stone, he'll raise the dead. If we do the mundane, he'll do the divine. God is calling people. There's more people to be saved in this church. There's more people to be reached in this city. There are more backpacks to be given buildings to be had, ministries to be started, families to be restored, addictions to fall. He will raise the dead if we roll the stone. God, I bless your church right now. God, with the strength to push and to endure. God, in every ministry, in every home, in every business, God, I pray for faithfulness in you, our Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Come on, let's sing this together. I can face tomorrow because he is. Oh, fear is good because I. Next steps is class three.
great day to go roll the stone. Pick up your kids. We love you. Backpacks, you can donate. You're the best. God's doing something in our city. Amen. God bless you. Have an amazing Sunday. And we'll see you back here next Sunday morning.